0: well good morning i want to let you know that uh, today we are kicking off our backpack buddies and so if you're not familiar with that we've got as i appreciate so much uh, steve bringing out in his prayer the blessing that we have of this congregation walking alongside our families and these young kids here are part of summers avenue and mentoring them and and being uh, spiritual guides for them uh, along their path and even the smallest ways makes a huge impact. And so one of the things we've been doing for several years is called Backpack Buddies. And that's where um, a member of the congregation uh, outside of that child's family kind of adopts that child for the school year. And so this is a, a, one of our uh, summer's kids, K through 6th grade. And so you, that year you are intentional about forging a relationship. It could be through uh, a note of encouragement. It could be through just tracking them down when we're here at the building, uh, asking them how things went at school. Uh, it could be uh, following them in their, their sports or extracurricular activities and, and going and watching that and getting to know them that way. It could be by, as Chad did for Cooper, giving them a car. And so that was, that was awesome. It was Hot Wheels, but he gave him a car. And so that was, that was a cool thing. So it's just small things like that that make a difference um, and build these connections between these kids and this congregation. And so more than that, these kids and the Lord's church, because our children need to know that church is more than their parents. Because when they are apart from their parents, they do not need to be apart from the only connection they had to the church. And so that's why it's so important. I remember growing up, so important and still dear to my heart are the relationships that our senior members at that time for me just speaking to me as I was, you know, walking through the building or just asking me how things were going, how much that meant to me and how that developed that bond. So, if you would like to be a backpack buddy for one of our summer's kids, there's a sign-up sheet. On, there's a table right back here. be to your left, my right, against the wall. And you can sign up to be a backpack buddy for this school year. And parents, we need you to sign your kids up saying they want to be involved in Backpack Buddies. And so there's also a separate list for you. And we're, we're going to give you two weeks. So we ask that by September 2nd, if you'll kind of make that commitment and, and get your name on that list. And Vanessa Dowdy is, uh, coordinates this for us. If you have any questions about Backpack Buddies, uh, you can talk to Vanessa about getting, uh, getting hooked up and, and involved in that. But I'll tell you what, you will you will develop relationships that will carry for the life of that child. And so even more so and deeper than just as we do now when we see one another in the hallways. So I hope you'll consider that. And again, if you've got any questions, uh, talk to Vanessa. So one of the, the, the great freedoms that we enjoy, if not the greatest, is our freedom to choose. We get freedom to make choices, especially here where we live. We don't get to choose the consequences of those choices, but we do get to choose what doors we walk through in life. For the most part, so Stephen Covey, who was a famous author and, and, and business leader, and he wrote uh, his best-selling leadership book, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. He says this, he says, but until a person can say deeply and honestly, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday. That person cannot say, I choose otherwise. And so basically he's saying, until we come to the realization that, that the, I am who I am because of the choices I made, and I can make different choices, then we're never going to be anything different. And so I want to hold that thought as we, we go through this morning. 1955, some of you were alive then. 1955, Sam Phillips... You may recognize that name, connected to uh, the, the music industry at the time. He sold to RCA Victor Records in 1955. He sold his exclusive contract with a young singer named Elvis Presley, and he forfeited the royalties on all the successive records that this young man made. More than a billion records. Now, you put dollars to that. gave it up because of that choice, that decision that he made. Sam Phillips could never get that back. It was never coming back. It was a one-time choice that he made. And we would say now, looking back, well, that was a bad choice, Sam, obviously. But faith is a choice. Faith in itself is a choice. But it's not a one-time choice. Faith is a daily choice that we make. It's a commitment to trust God, trust in God and in the truth of His Word. And so Scripture is replete with this urging to choose The way of God in Hebrews that we've been studying through, walking through this chapter, chapter 11, Hebrews was written to show that the way of God has always been a way of faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please him for the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him or diligently seek him. And so in our text today, we read probably the the most important figure in the history of God's people. And so aside from Jesus, of course. And so the book of Deuteronomy ends with this unparalleled epitaph of a man named Moses. So we're going to be going back and forth here. We've got to look backwards so we can see forwards. And so Deuteronomy chapter 34, we read in verse 10, No prophet ever again arose in Israel like Moses, who knew the Lord face to face. He did all the signs and wonders the Lord had sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, all his servants, and the whole land. And he displayed great power and awesome might in view of all Israel. And so to Israel, Moses was the greatest prophet. He was, he was the great lawgiver. He was Israel's greatest historian, attributed to have written the first five books of our Bible. It's called the Pentateuch to, uh, to the, the Hebrew people, so that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in our Old Testament. And so he was revealed by God's Word even as the humblest man in the entire human race, this man Moses. Also Israel's greatest deliverer. He delivered Israel from generations of slavery in Egypt. And so because Moses ranks so highly among Old Testament figures... And to show that he lived by faith and not adherence to the law, that was a powerful argument to convince the Jews that God's way had always been the way of faith. And so the faith of Moses begins with his parents. And so in Hebrews 11:23, this is our key verse for today. So by faith, when Moses was born... His parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so we need to go back to Exodus 2 to get the background. There's a backstory here that we need to make sure we're familiar with. So we've been looking at the lives of these saints, uh, these, uh, these ancients, these, these, uh, these heroes of faith, as some would say. Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. Uh, and so Joseph also, who during a time of great famine... He was found himself in a position uh, because of God. He rose to power, second in power in the land. And he invited his father Jacob and invited his, his, his family with permission of the Pharaoh to settle in the land of Goshen in Egypt. Beautiful land there. And so Exodus 1 tells us that there were 70 of these original immigrants of Israel's family who moved into the land. And so Exodus 1 and verse 7 says, The Israelites, however, they were fruitful they increased greatly, they multiplied and became extremely strong so that the land was filled with them. And so God had promised, you remember, He promised Abraham, who was as good as dead, Scripture says, meaning the the thought of him even producing children was just not going to happen. And so yet, he was way too old to have children, but his descendants, God said, are going to be more numerous than even the the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And so now about 400 years later, the land is filled with them. But a new king, a new Pharaoh has come to power who didn't care one bit about Joseph. And this Pharaoh was afraid that these Hebrews who were multiplying at a pretty good rate, they were going to get so plentiful that they might even, uh, you know, go into some sort of agreement with Egypt's enemies. And now they're a threat because what if they teamed up with him and went to war against us? And what what if they left the land? And what would that do to our economy if we lost all these people? So Pharaoh says in verse 10, come, let's deal wisely with them. Otherwise, they will continue to multiply. And if a war breaks out, they will ally themselves with our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. And as a result, the Egyptians loathed the Israelites. Well, that didn't quite go as Pharaoh had planned, did it? So he takes another plan, another approach, and so he goes to the midwives, these these ladies who were birth assistants in the birthing of all these children. And so the king tells the midwives in verse 16, he says, "When you assist these Hebrew women in childbirth, you observe at the delivery, and you see if it's a son, you kill him, but if it's a daughter, she may live." But the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king goes to them and he says, why did you let them live? And the midwives say, hey, look, these women are strong. I mean, they're, you know, they're popping out these babies before we could even get there. Wink, wink. And so they lie to the king and God blesses them because of it. And parents, you are on your own explaining the blessing of lying in this particular passage. So I'm going to leave you with that one. But Pharaoh then, he goes, OK, this isn't working either. So he puts it on the entire country. And so in verse 22, Pharaoh commands all his people... All sons that are born, you must throw into the river, but all daughters you may let live. So now we can pick up this backstory. now. So Hebrews 11 and verse 23, you understand all that in place, what was going on here with with Moses' parents and this baby. So a man from the household of Levi, Exodus 2, married a woman who was a descendant of Levi's or his parents, And so we know that God is going to eventually appoint or designate the tribe of Levi, the, the, the family, the lineage of Levi, as the priestly tribe, as he brings this nation together eventually, nation of Israel. And so the priests of God are going to be appointed out of this particular tribe. And so it says the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a healthy child, she hid him for three months. But when she was no longer able to hide him, she took a papyrus basket for him and sealed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile. And it's interesting here the, the word for basket is the same word used for Noah's ark in Genesis 6. So his mom built a little ark for him. And so it says his sister then stationed herself at a distance to find out what would happen to him. So she's on watch. Moses had one sister that we know of, and we know her name was Miriam. And she would have been probably like 11 to 15 years old, somewhere in that range there. And so we assume that this was her. And so it says then that the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself by the Nile while her attendants were walking alongside the river, and she saw the basket among the reeds. She sent one of her attendants. She took it, opened it, and saw the child, a boy, crying. And she felt compassion for him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So you may, I don't know, you may think, well, why would an Egyptian princess be going down to the the, the river to bathe? Why didn't she bathe in the palace? Surely they had baths in in the palace. Well, yes, they did. Very nice ones, I'm sure. But the Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. And so the people would believe that the the Nile, because it gave life to the land and the community through its water, they believed that it would also give life mystical powers to you. And so they would go down and they would splash in the water hoping to kind of get some of that power, some of that life, such as fertility, in them. And so periodically they'd bathe in the Nile hoping to get these blessings. So now we know what the the, the Pharaoh's edict is, what his law is. Kill the boys, spare the girls. And so desperate times call for desperate measures. And so Moses' mom was not abandoning her child. She was being very intentional, perhaps strategic, to float Moses out when the princess was there to bathe. And so back... In Hebrews, what do we see? When he was born, his parents hid him for three months. A three-month-old. Because they saw the child was beautiful, they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so we know by Scripture how Moses' parents' faith, it was their faith that led them to do this. And so we've already understood how faith moves us forward. Faith requires action and movement. And so this faith allowed them to see something special in their child and to overcome their fear of what man might do to him. And so we've seen how faith is not found only in a perfect life, but how through faith and by faith we are being perfected in Jesus Christ. And so faith has opportunity to operate in places in our lives, places that are maybe fear-inducing where in turn we can see kingdom potential. So faith changes things. It changes our lives. It changes our outlook. And so through faith, we receive strength from the Lord to move from fear to action. That's the power of faith. So Moses' parents hid him and it says they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, all parents, I suppose, (laughs) feel that their child is beautiful. You run across every once in a while one that you say, well, that's a face only a mother can love, John Pickle. But the scripture implies that Moses was not merely a handsome man. It's not just talking about his, his, you know, beautiful jet black hair and his cute little dimples. He was not an ordinary child. There was something about him. They saw great potential in him. And we know Scripture speaks against appearances and only looking at the outward appearance. So I don't think that this was just regarding his, his full head of hair and those dimples. And in fact, when you when we read about Stephen, remember Stephen was giving testimony, was condemning and preaching against uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders there in Acts uh, chapter 7, when he was arguing Christ before them. He even brings this up and he talks about in Acts 7 and verse 20, he says, at that time Moses was born and he was what? Beautiful to God. He was beautiful to God. So he kind of he kind of fleshes this out a little bit for us. And so it's not that Moses was better than anyone around him, but God chose him for a very unique role. They didn't just see a beautiful child. They saw something special, something intentional, something purposeful about this child. And so because his parents thought that God had destined him for such a great purpose, then they defied the king's edict, They hid him for three months. How could they do this? How could they think this? Well, it's by faith. They did it by faith and that faith became more evident when they could no longer conceal him from a government who was out to kill him. And so they could either be frozen in fear or they could be moving in faith. And just like us, that's the same choice we face today, either frozen in fear or moving in faith. And so how many of you purchase a new cell phone? Probably pretty much everybody has. Right. And so when you, when you get that phone, Normally, it's it's packaged, you know, shrink wrap package. It's all you know, nice and neat in there, and and it has all the potential that a cell phone can do, right? When it's in that box, when it's in that case, but it's a brick and it's plastic until what? Until it's activated, right? It's worthless until it's activated. So you buy electronics nowadays. A lot of toys are this way. You buy electronics and, and in the battery compartment, there's this little, you know, tab thing that's hanging out, right? And you have to remove it before the battery can make contact with, 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 with the pathway that, that, that sends the power that makes the thing work, right? Romans 8, chapter 11 says, Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. So what's needed from us is not to get something that we do not have. What's needed is to step into what we already have. And that's for our faith to be activated, to activate our faith. And in Scripture, we find that the way our faith is activated is by taking that next step in obedience. Moving from fear to action. So parenting is a a unique opportunity to express our faith. (laughs) We express faith every day that we're going to get through this. And so we work for the good of our kids, right? While entrusting them into God's hands. It's a partnership that we have. Don't tune out if you're not a parent. Please. Because parenting is meant to, to see into the parental heart of God. And so the deeper message here is the heart of God. So how many of you have heard of Amram and Jochebed? You heard those crazy names. You heard of it? Yeah. Some of you have. It may sound familiar. Well, they're Moses' parents. That's them. And they were named as just passing words on a page when you get over into the book of Numbers. And so, but they were the ones whom God chose to give birth to Moses. Now think about that. They're the ones he chose. And although we may appreciate the wisdom of our parents as we navigate our own journey with kids, parenting isn't about what your mom and dad want you to do, doing what they want to do. Parenting is about ultimately and should be for them also what God wants us to do. And so God starts early preparing people for what they are called into. Which means that day today is the day to start parenting well. Not tomorrow, not this afternoon. Right now, God is already at work in your child's life and He's been at work in yours also by faith when Moses was born. His parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. His parents, see, they were together in this this decision, this journey. It's not like... Amram got home that afternoon and said, you did what? <laughs> you put him where? You know, it wasn't like that. I expect that they were together on their knees long before this scene happens, begging God somehow to, to get us out of this carnage, get us out of this that's going on here. But they were working together with God for the good of their child. And so in our minds, we can see Jochebed weaving this basket, covering it with pitch, So that it flows. Concerned with the safety of her child. And then pushing her little three-month-old baby out into the Nile. Trusting God. Doing what she can. And then trusting God for the rest. And as parents, we're called to do everything we can to keep our kids from sinking into the waters of life. That's being available. That's listening to them. Encouraging them. Showing affection to them. Advocating for them. It's tar and pitch. That's what we're called to do. Tar and pitch their lives. But at the same time, we've got to push the ark out into the water and we've got to trust God because that's what He wants as our Father. And He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. But that's not easy. That's not easy because you know what they're going to do? They're going to try to climb out of that ark. <laughs> they're going to try to climb out of it. They're going to rock that thing until you are sure it's going to capsize. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Being involved, but also acknowledging that God is their ultimate parent. Just like He's ours. And they must learn to trust Him too. And if you are a single parent, I want to encourage you to see God as the spouse that's missing in your life. God joins you in the role that's missing. And you do as much as you can to tar and pitch. But you lean more heavily on God Trusting in Him. And so we line up our faith together as parents along with the sovereignty of God. It's always for the good of our children. Doesn't mean it goes perfect without any bumps, bone jarring jolts along the way, but it's always for the good of our kids. And so faith, what? Is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. That's the whole point of faith. That's the whole journey of faith. We don't have all the answers. We, we can't see how everything's going to turn out, but we are confident that life is in the hands of someone who can handle it. And so times were desperate, but Amram and Jacobed, they acted in faith. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they trusted God. They trusted God's hands, which they could not see. And so there's freedom in faith. To begin walking where at one time you might have been, you'd been seized in fear. There, there, there's freedom in walking even before you've sized up all the data in your Excel spreadsheet. And so Solomon says if we wait until conditions are perfect, we'll never get to work. Solomon went around observing life. God blessed him to be, to, with wisdom to be the wisest man to ever live. He goes around and he starts. He looks at everything. And he says in Ecclesiastes 11, in verse 6, he says, you sow your seed, you plant in the morning and don't stop working until the evening. For you do not know which activity will succeed, whether this one or that one, or whether both will prosper equally. You've got to start and you don't stop. Why? Because we don't know what God has in store. We don't know what next step is going to be the step that opens the door for us or for someone else. So we live by faith. We live by faith. We get to work. We do the work. And then we let God do what He will do to use us in that. I used to love these coloring books. You guys have seen this. Invisible ink. Coloring books, so they had like coloring books and sometimes they would have these little um, sentences, you know, and you would, you would take your little invisible ink pen and you would, you would you know, wipe through the, the blank in the sentence and it would reveal whatever the word is. So the page would look blank to your eye, but as you color over it, as you take action on it, the picture or the words become clear and it takes on its color and it takes on its shape. And so much of the invisible ink of God is written all over this story. Moses was a Levite. He was of the tribe of Levi. It wouldn't be known until later that the Levites are going to be chosen by God. They're going to be the people, the priests who intercede between the people and God. And Moses moved so quickly from dire danger to royal protection in his life. And God lifts people from ashes and sets them among princes. They sing that in the Psalms, by the way. And so if you want to believe that, look at the story of Jesus. Born in a manger to be the Savior of the world. And look at Moses at the point of death to be raised up in the house of the very king who wanted to kill him. To become the leader, the deliverer of God's people. And Jochebed, it's interesting, she does this sort of motherly twist as only a mom could do. She obeys the government while still obeying God. What did the government say? Throw your child in the Nile. What did she do? Well, she did it, didn't she? Sort of. Yeah, but she did. So she honors the government and she also honors God. And this is... Awesome because Jochebed is then chosen, his mother is then chosen to nurse Moses. The princess says, Go find one of these Hebrew women to, to nurse this child for me. They go get his mom. And she's the one that gets the nursing. And she's paid by the princess for doing it. See, Satan is always at work trying to extinguish the plans of God. And God's like, No, <laughs> nope. And we'll give him to his mom to raise. And we'll pay her to do it. See, that is awesome to me. That is powerful. And see, she would have nursed him for probably two to four years. That would have been the time frame here in which that time he would have come to know the God of his people. And he would have come to know the promises that God had made to them. See, Pharaoh's weapon of fear becomes the very tool that God uses to prepare Moses for his role as deliverer. And Moses wouldn't, he wouldn't have been raised in this royal court. He wouldn't have been educated in the highest school of the land, which he was. He wouldn't have been trained in military tactics and how to lead large numbers of people. He wouldn't have been privy to all these royal resources if this had not happened. And God even uses Pharaoh's daughter, likely a soft spot for O Pharaoh, To raise Moses, God turns Pharaoh's evil right back on himself for the good of God's people and for God's purpose. God has made his working known to us. He's made this known to us how he did this so that even though we can't see it happening in our lives, we understand what God does and what he can do. And so we understand Romans 8 and verse 28, how we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who were called according to his purpose, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined. He also called and those he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? This is what God can do. And this is what God does. This is how he works in this world. And just when persecution was reaching its peak, God sent Moses to be born to deliver his people. And you know what? Scripture says the same thing about Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, at the right time, in God's time, Christ died for the ungodly. So what we got? We got a king's law. We got a mother's love. We got babies. Tears. We got a teenage girl's shrewdness. <laughs> we got the, the, the pity of a princess. And in, not in one instance did God violate human will because God does not violate human will. He does not go against our ability to choose. But He used all of this ordinary stuff to accomplish what He wanted to happen. And yet, faith is not independent of action. Faith without works is what? It's dead. Absolutely. It's dead. It's lifeless. It's imperceptible. Faith without works is dead. And faith waits on God. Yeah, there's a balance there. Faith waits on God when all means have been exhausted. We do everything we can. Because there is a time to wait on God. And that's when we have done everything that we can do. Because faith is not opposed to working. But faith is opposed to earning. And so Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. And so we live by faith in Jesus because of what God has already done for us. He has secured our salvation and our eternal life. And so this is what should get us out of our chairs and and, and onto our feet, moving in action here. Because faith allows us to actively participate in God's work, despite not knowing all the answers. We can say, God, use me, even though I have no idea how this is all going to work out. Now, I'm not one of those brains. They can think through like the next ten moves and checkers. I played with some of y'all who can. You can do that with cards and all kinds of stuff. I don't I can't see the next ten moves, but I can see the next one. I can see the next one. What's your next move? What's your next move? What arc what arcs do you need to push out in your life? What is it that you need to entrust to God, you know. Surely, as Jacobbed was was letting go, she was wondering, "Is this a good idea?" I mean, you know, as as long as her hand was still within reach of that ark, is this still a good idea? And don't you think it probably took her a few minutes to let go? You know, it was kind of like, and, uh, you know, and it's just a little bit further no, and just a little bit further, no. Surely, that's how life is, and I'm sure. I'm sure there were a huge amount of tears as it finally floated out of her grasp. And then Moses was drawn up, drawn out by the princess. And she named him Moses, which sounds like a Hebrew phrase meaning drawn out. And then later, Moses leads people of God to another body of water. God parts this water. The people go in and then they are what? Drawn out. By God. Safely on the other side. And when we put our faith in Jesus as the Savior of our souls, we are called into the water of baptism. where in the likeness of Christ's death. We are buried with Christ. And God does what? He draws us up. Draws us out safely on the other side. When we have died to our sin and died to ourselves, and then by the power of God, through Jesus, we are raised to this new life. And so the question is, will we trust God to do that and raise us up when it's time for our death? See, when we, are, when we submit ourselves to God through Jesus Christ and we are baptized, we are still putting our faith in God's promise that, yeah, this, this is happening right now on this earth. But I am securing this same resurrection in heaven, in eternity. We put our faith in that and we live by that. Why else would I care if I do things if I treat you the way I want to be treated? Other than the fact that because Christ has saved me, then I want to be a beacon of salvation to others. So if so, if if we believe this, if our faith is in this, then we're moving by faith, we're living by faith, and then our lives reflect this blessed assurance that even though we cannot see the outcome. Even though we cannot know for certain the timetable that we're working on day by day by day in our lives. That we trust that God is with us for each step and each moment. And it is His grace that covers us for this journey. Let me ask you this morning, what is it that you need to push out of your life? What is it that you need to give over to God and trust Him that He will take control? He will take the lead because He's ready. He's ready, but you've got to let go first. You've got to let go first and put your faith in Him through Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you are ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive God's Spirit as His promise and His promissory note, His guarantee for eternity with Him, then the water stands ready for your decision. And this morning, if you are a child of God, but yet you are holding on to something, it is keeping you from relinquishing your life fully to the God that wants to take control. We want to pray with you and for you this morning for strength to release it. And if you need forgiveness, God says, just ask and He will graciously give it. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If we can help you anyway this morning, will you come as we sing?